0: Welcome to Share Public Health, the Midwestern Public Health Training Center's podcast, connecting you to public health topics, issues, and colleagues throughout our region and the country, highlighting that we all share in public health. Thank you for tuning in to Building Health Equity, the Institute for Public Health Practices series highlighting health equity practice throughout Iowa. Over the course of the series, we will be inviting speakers to dive deeper into their experiences in health equity practice. To serve as a learning enrichment opportunity for health department staff and anyone interested in building health equity. As a heads up, these podcasts have been reformatted from the original Building Health Equity Webinar Series recordings.
1: Welcome, everyone, to our second Building Health Equity Webinar Series Practicing um, Environmental Justice. I'm Kathleen. I am a program coordinator at the Institute for Public Health Practice and I will now uh, invite our guests and moderator to introduce themselves and then we'll move into um, a presentation, some discussion
2: questions and finally a Q&A. Hello everyone, um, my name's uh, Dr. Sarinda Desi. I'm um, what you would call an associate professor at the University of Birmingham in, in England. I'm an environmental health practitioner by background and I practiced for about 10 years in uh, local authority roles before I did my PhD and uh, the research for my PhD was around um, health inequalities and environmental health and public health policies.
3: My name is Jacques Cologne. I um, currently serve as the strategic manager for the city of Tacoma in Washington, um, but I got there from a uh, public health background. And previous to that, I worked as the health equity coordinator in Tacoma, Washington, um, at the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department for five years. And prior to that, worked on the environmental health programs at uh, NACHO, the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Happy to be here with you all today.
4: Uh, Lastly, I'm the moderator for today's uh, discussion. My name is Jared Parvater, and I'm the current Environmental Health Program Manager for Blackhawk County Public Health here in Iowa. Um, I've been uh, working in environmental health for almost six years. I also teach uh, environmental health at a local college, Allen College, here in in Waterloo. Uh, Yeah, I'll be your moderator for today.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. I will start um, by sharing my screen and hand it off to Jacques.
3: Thank you, Kathleen. So I have the pleasure of being able to walk you through some of how I have come to to know environmental justice from a practitioner standpoint. And um, before I jump into that, I I say that practitioner standpoint very intentionally, because having come from this national perspective at NACHO and then serving at a local health department, um, I think it is really important that we are intentional about bridging that gap between what is sometimes the, the theoretical or academic practice of, of environmental justice with the public health, you know, especially the local public health practice of environmental health. So really looking forward to, to talking through that with you all today. So any conversation about environmental justice really has to start with what is health equity? So. Um, the most impactful thing I have ever seen that really helped explain what the social determinants of health and health equity were for me was this diagram here. And it, it really shows that when we talk about what makes us healthy, um, we really have to make sure that we are focusing on social, economic, and environmental factors, because those in fact do create the majority of our opportunities for health. So um, while traditional public health practice has often focused on health behaviors or connecting people with clinical care, um, those things are, of course, obviously still important, but they cannot be done in isolation of social, economic, and environmental factors if we have any hope of closing the gap that we see in terms of all of the health inequities in our communities. um, that really is the number one thing that I, I would hope that you walk away from, from even this whole presentation with if you're newer to understanding how social, economic, and environmental factors uh, impact health. But I know most of you all are well, well beyond that. So let's go to the next slide. So with that understanding of equity in mind, when we talk about environmental justice, um, these are a couple of definitions that I like. You know we're talking about the equitable distribution of environmental risks and benefits. Where are those environmental opportunities and risks being cited? Where, who has access to them and why? And then the the second definition is that environmental justice is also a social movement to address the unfair exposure of poor and marginalized communities to harms associated with resource extraction, hazardous waste and other land uses. So that one's a little bit more specific, but also describes um, how a lot of people think of and talk about environmental justice as well. So both definitions I think are really um, worth keeping in mind as we talk about what is environmental justice, acknowledging that different people will talk about it in different ways. Now, one thing that I love about environmental health and environmental justice is that when I think about it, the history nerd in me really loves that public health itself is in many ways you know, owes its roots to environmental justice and environmental health. And you think about the spread of disease because of water systems, you think about uh, sewage and waste and pest control, right? That really is the birth of modern public health as we know it. And so when you think about environmental health and environmental justice, um, just a rich history within public health and, and uh, yeah, the beginnings of public health are, are in many ways tied very much to that. Moving forward as we think about the 20th century, um, a move to public health 2.0 was really more about addressing disproportionate exposure to point source pollution and identifying inequities. So I think if you were gonna do a, a survey of the whole country and ask people what they associate with environmental justice, I think those that know would most often probably give you an example that sounds something like factories being disproportionately cited in poor communities, communities of color and the corresponding risks that um, came from from that exposure. While those things are still very much present and part of our communities, uh, it's important to note that environmental justice issues are way more diverse than those now, right? So when you think about what really um, is making the environmental health of our communities suffer, um, it's actually a lot of different things. So you can look at point source pollution. And uh, for those of you that haven't heard that term before, that's that's pollution that comes from from a fixed site. So a factory, something that's kind of one point stuck in the ground. And then you also have tons of pollution from particulate matter that is not from point source pollution. So thinking of you know trucks and traffic and cars and you know all of all of that stuff. Um, you have the risks of particulate matter um, and thinking about which communities often live closest to our heaviest traffic freeways and, um, and our trucking sites and, and places like that. You know, it, it again tends to follow a pattern of, of poverty and, um, and marginalization. And then other forms of environmental justice that might show up in your community include um, land use choices about housing right? Are, is an incredibly large percentage of your jurisdiction, you know, large single family homes with a, a large percentage of, of people living in poverty, you know, confined to areas that have some of the worst health opportunities? I don't know. Every community is different. Many communities do though. Um, is it is it an issue of access to healthy foods, right? Again, that is an environmental justice issue in terms of, Where is access to healthy food coming in different communities and and how? And then also thinking about how the built environment can affect other environmental justice issues like urban heat islands. So as we think about the number and intensity of high heat days increasing over time, um, as we have already seen and and is is coming to bear in terms of the data that we have about hospitalizations on on extreme heat days. It's only made worse by built environments that are high in pavement and low in green space, right? They do create an urban heat island effect, which we know can have impacts on on health responses to extreme heat. So that's another way that that can show up. And then um, kind of making that link to what environmental assets are, are in a community or are not in a community is another way that that can show up. So I've worked in communities where a lack of urban canopy was a really clear indicator of a particular environmental injustice in that community. And so thinking about how these things show up in your community uh, is really a great starting point for identifying what is the practice of environmental justice going to look like in my jurisdiction or how am I going to work with folks who ultimately will translate that to their jurisdictions. So I wanna pause there for a second because every community is so different. um, We do have a poll And we would love to know from you all, how do you think EJ issues might show up in your community? And so the issues that I have here are there for you to potentially choose from. Uh, And then if you have other ways that you think environmental justice plays out in your community, we would love to hear that too. So please check other and and let us know what that is in the chat. So as you're filling that out, one, one of the things that I didn't go into as much Um, but I would love to touch on are the impacts of climate change. And when I talk about that, you know, I touched on urban heat islands and extreme heat days, but those aren't the only ways that um, climate, the impacts of climate change are having disproportionate impacts on different communities. And you can look at things like flooding Um, for farming communities, things like saltwater intrusion and sea level rise can actually have a bigger impact than you might think, even though you're not uh, coastal. Um, and then, and then there's a host of other issues, whether it be, you know, like the spread of disease, um, things that that are not native, like chikungunya. But um, so all that to say, there are many, many diverse ways that that these issues can show up in terms of public health outcomes in your in your community. So Kathleen, let me know when when we have um, enough votes tallied that we can go ahead and show those results real quick, and then we'll we'll move forward.
1: Okay. It seems like we're going to cap it at 83%. So I'm going to end the poll now.
3: Okay. Great. Let's, let's see what we, what we have. All right. So as indicated in the comments, you know, built environment issues, uh, come in first. And that makes a lot of sense when you think about, you know, what we're seeing in the chat with access to transportation, uh, walkable neighborhoods, sidewalks, right? These are the components of built environments that um, that either do or do not provide opportunities for health. So absolutely um, makes sense that built environment and, and the injustices that are associated with those would be top of the list. And then we also have a lot of you saying the impacts of climate change um, are going to be uh, a big a big concern in your communities as well as point source pollution. So really interesting to look at this list and see you know, what are, what are the diversity of issues that you all are hoping to better address as a public health system in, in Iowa and beyond? So I'm gonna close the poll there and quickly move through a few additional slides before we get to the discussion. Um, so I don't know how many of you have heard about public health 3.0, but this is kind of a term that has been thro- thrown around in the past decade about what the next stage of public health is. Um, you know, if you think about public health 1.0, like basic environmental health, as we talked about, public health 2.0 as programs and services to address needs in the community, and then public health 3.0 is this transition to what some are calling a chief health strategist. You know, the, 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 the people in the community that are truly um, behind the scenes thinking about what are the, again, social, economic, and environmental conditions that create the opportunities necessary for the public health outcomes that we want to see at a population level. So, population health approaches to public health practice. And so, with that framework in mind, um, there are a couple of ways that that I would suggest you think about the public health role in in this approach to environmental justice. And one is continuing to build on the work that we are already very good at in public health, which is programs and practice, right? Um, if we can make stronger ties to social, economic and environmental conditions, that is only gonna benefit our ability to, to achieve outcomes within those programs. Um, but again, that's, that's just one way to think about how, how do we work on environmental health issues and environmental justice? Well, programs are one way that you can do that. Another way is through policy, right? How, how do we uh, ensure that our policies are encouraging environmental justice And conversely, how do we look at the policies that we currently have and see how they reinforce the status quo that creates inequitable health outcomes? So looking at built environment issues, um, looking at land use issues, um, absolutely crucial to thinking about not just what do we do to to change or create something new, but what do we need to do uh, to change the, the structural foundation that is creating the inequities that we see through policy? Another lens to look at this through is partnership, knowing that public health cannot do everything everywhere. um, I think public health is often uh, some of the best positioned in the community to uh, be be a convener, be a partner, be somebody that is a catalyst for other sectors, whether it's transportation, housing, et cetera. Um, How can can public health continue to leverage its position within the community to partner, um, to achieve results beyond public health's jurisdiction. And then similarly to that, the platform that public health has, right? And COVID, um, is, is, you know, more complex than, than I would like it to be in terms of using it as an example, but public health does have a platform to be able to speak to the impacts of environmental health inequities, um, economic, social, and environmental conditions, et cetera. And so, um, Part of it is how to use the advocacy platform of the health department or kind of the bully pulpit of the health department. But also if you look at the last, bully, uh, the last bullet point here, um, how are we also creating space for those most impacted by environmental justices to have the power and positionality to advocate and act on their community's own best interests? How are we creating a platform or making space on the platform For those who are most impacted to also share their expertise in the development of how we address these issues. So um, quick point on that before I move forward. Um, In public health, I think it's important that we know we are the content experts. We do, we are experts, right? Like we are professionals in public health and we know a lot about things that many other people do not. So our expertise is valuable. That content expertise has to be paired with context expertise. And many of us are not living in the communities that are most impacted. Many of us are not part of the communities that are most impacted. And so because of that, there has to be a partnership between that content expertise and that context expertise to truly be as effective at not only having the right answers, but the right answers that are at the right time and place to have an impact on the people that are actually being affected by the problem. So, One of the things that's really important to make sure that we don't just totally cross over is the fact that race is an integral part of environmental justice issues and health equity in general, and it cannot be just brushed over because it is too crucial to the foundations of how inequities came to be in the communities that we're talking about. So we talked about the built environment being one of the most crucial inequities And I'm just gonna show you a quick example of how clear the connection is between racial discrimination and segregation and some of the inequities and injustices that we see in terms of the built environment. So for those of you that are already familiar with residential redlining, I apologize. But for those of you that are not, in 1937, the Federal Housing Authority, which is the same uh, authority that now does what we know as the 30-year mortgages that that we're fairly used to, FHA loans, Um, In 1937, that that authority created this system called residential redlining that created what they called investment grades for each of the uh, small block groups or neighborhoods within most of the large cities or mid-sized cities in the United States. And so this is a, a map, the 1937 map of Tacoma, and you can see that it, it depicts different areas with with different investment grades, A through D, with red being D and the the worst investment grade. Now, why I'm showing you this as a uh, link to the uh, public health impacts of, of racist policy is if you go to the next slide, there's one little red area that is surrounded by blue that I was curious about and went into the description and it literally says three highly respected Negro families own homes and live in the middle block of this area facing Verde Street. While very much above the average of their race, it is quite generally recognized by realtors that their presence seriously detracts from the desirability of their immediate neighborhood. And it was downgraded to a D. Now, if you think about the the long-term public health impacts of that, Um, You can think about how these policies were furthered by things like racially restrictive covenants within neighborhoods, and then things like um, single family exclusive zoning actually helped further some of the segregation created by these policies. And so as you think about built environment inequities and the investments that have happened in these neighborhoods over time, you have to understand that race is an underpinning part of all of these decisions. And that a lot of the decisions that we have continued to build our systems on, while not intentionally racist in the past several decades, continue to build on that foundation. So it is a present and near part of public health practice, even if you don't think it has that much applicability to your community. All right. So some of the things that we can do today are to just use data in different ways to be able to identify and describe the inequities that we're seeing, and then being able to take action on them across those different things that we talked about, like programs or policies or partnership. And one of the ways that we've tried to do that in Tacoma is through this tool called the the equity index. And this index takes 29 different indicators that we would look at, um, things spanning from life expectancy to crime index to nuisance index and things of that nature, but it also incorporates environmental health indicators. And so by looking at tools like this, which you can see here has been disaggregated to just show the environmental health indicators, we can look at geographic inequities within our city to see where are the spots or or pockets within our city that currently have the worst outcomes. And because of that, we can focus what we all know to be very limited resources within public health on the areas of highest need and trying to achieve outcomes that we may not otherwise be able to achieve without that data. So you can see here by looking at the key in the top right that this map shows environmental health opportunity from very high with dark green to very low with white. And so as a practitioner looking at this data, I would say I probably should be looking to uh, divert as many of my environmental health assets or public health assets, if they're, if they're used for environmental health programs, away from the north end of the city and try to move as many of them towards the east side of the city, right? And by doing that, I, I surmise that I would be able to affect more of the people who are most impacted by the problems that we're seeing um, in these indicators. So that's just one example of how you can use data through mapping um, to to help make this practice more real. There are, of course, many other ways, but um, one of the things that public health is both an expert and looked to as an expert in the community is data and mapping. And so using this as a starting point to do some of the partnership work maybe um, is one area that might be high opportunity for you and, and the systems that you work in. So um, I believe that was my last slide, but with that, um, thank you so much um, and would love to have more discussion and hear what questions you all have. Thanks, Jared.
4: Yeah, hey, thanks, Jacques. If everyone would be so kind as to save their questions uh, to the end, we have about, uh, I think, 15 to 20 minutes blocked in for discussion. What I'd like to do now is actually turn over to Surindar and kind of get an idea as to what her work is and and what impacts she's making um, across the pond, as it were. Surindar.
2: Hi. yeah Um, so a lot of my work is around um, health inequalities and particularly looking at how we protect the most vulnerable people in our society, so my research my current research is around um, how we support refugees and migrants, um, not necessarily in the UK, but across Europe but also in, in other parts of the world, um, including Nigeria. Actually, we've got a project in Nigeria as well. So for me, it, that is what environmental health is about. Um, our professional motto is friend of the human race and speaking up for them so much. That is quite unusual still. And that's something that we're trying to um, overcome so that we don't have these barriers between um, practitioner and academic communities and we've we've created quite a lot of resources to try and help practitioners to. publish, Parceling out. um, Looking for the evidence that um, certain interventions work before they're willing to invest in services so that's something that we're really. Um, supporting and encouraging practitioners to do.
4: Thank you very much. So now we'll begin uh, essentially the discussion portion uh, for today. Uh, we have a few questions kind of outlined already, and I think uh, we've answered several of them. Uh, thank you, Jacques. It, your, uh, your presentation was very adept. <laughs> um, but I think one of the, the more interesting things we can look at here is, is what can environmental health practitioners do to move forward with health equity? Um, it's always kind of struck me how, how absolutely critical um, environmental justice and health equity is to the work that we do in environmental health but a lot of the work that we do in environmental health is regulatory in nature. So it's not always a one for one. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if, I, if both of you could answer that, uh, what, what can we environmental health practitioners do to move forward uh, in health equity?
2: Should I get first, Jack? Okay. Um, sorry, I think my internet might, might not be too clever this evening. I don't know why. Um, I would say, um,
4: Yeah, Sorindar, uh, really sorry about that. I'm only catching about one, uh, two or three words out of every five or six. So um, uh, I think we gleaned some of that, um, but I, uh, I would like to actually pose the same question to Jacques.
3: Yeah, I would just point back to um, a couple of my slides. So one thing would be just you know understanding the nature of the inequities in your community. So that always seems to me like a great first step is just do you fully understand the nature of the inequities within your community? Have you done a health equity assessment? Have you done an environmental inequities assessment? What what is the the data that you look to when you make decisions about Um, what the health department does and does not do and advocate for. So that would be the first part of my answer would just be the use of data and truly understanding and communicating the inequities that you see within your community. And then I would point also to the slide that I had about programs, policies, partnership, and platform. So knowing that a lot of what many health departments do Um, is highly regulatory there are certainly limits to what you're going to programmatically do Um, there are also limits to what you can do through policy because of the you know how cities and counties are set up right so um, acknowledging all of that that just makes your your uh, platform and partnership uh, needs even greater right Um, and then And then separate from that, there's an acknowledgement that there may be some issues that with our limited resources within public health, aren't a great fit for us to work on. Maybe that's better for the EPA. Maybe that's better for ecology. Whatever the case might be, there are certainly issues that you have to be able to say, this is an environmental injustice. And I have to recognize that the public health system is not best situated to address it. So what am I going to do to contribute maybe with data, Right. I always think that is such a niche for public health to add value to if that's an outcome that you're invested in in contributing to. Right. What what are you going to contribute? Um, but then if you do identify points that you do feel like the health department can play a role, what are you doing to move the needle there? And, and that does take work, whether it's, you know, working with um, boards of health on identifying uh, why addressing inequities within your community is so important um, and getting their approval on on X, y or z, whether that's working with leadership within specific health departments on um, roles that they they can and or should take. you know if you've seen one health department, you've seen one health department so it's a it's a tough question to answer at large but I think you know starting with that data piece, do you really understand the nature of the inequities? can you, Um, identify them? Can you communicate about them? And then with that data, are you leveraging that to have the impact that your system can have in whatever form that is, programs, policies, partnership, platform, or beyond? So um, I think I'll, I'll leave my answer there since there's so much more that could be said.
4: Very good. Thank you, Jacques. Um, you know, I, I think you you answered the following question partially here um, already, but, um, you know, I think a lot of us as health departments have a, a pretty clear understanding of what are some of those equity issues that we face. Um, and of course, I think there's been a massive trend uh, in public health recently and in environmental health as well uh, towards, uh, you know, us acknowledging those. Uh, the, those inequities and actually beginning the, the process to work towards a you know a positive solution to some of that or, or work towards a, a more positive outcome. But how do we convince others? How do we convince other people in the community that those concerns are, are really integral to the, the, the process of, of having a city or a county governing?
3: Yeah, again, one of those questions that it's uh, impossible to answer at large but I guess because of that, my answer would be it's based on relationship um, in large part. So if if there's one thing the past several years should have taught us in public health, it's that having the right answers isn't always uh, enough. Um, that so many of the policies and practices that, that we are a part of the system of um, require relationships. And so you cannot, answer how to convince county council members or health department directors, because I don't know what makes them tick. And so to break it down, the the first step would be who are the people that you need to influence um, for that particular decision, right? Who are the people that have uh, pieces of control of the levers that we're talking about? And then two, what are the things that make them tick? So when we talk about partnership, leveraging partnerships in public health, the one of the reasons why public health is so great at that, is because we have a lot of practice in figuring out what makes other people tick and making the tie to health. So as we talk about social, economic, and environmental conditions, when we talk about sidewalks, if sidewalks are important to people, that is a public health issue, and we can we can make it that right. If people are talking about urban canopy, that is a public health issue. If people are talking about housing, that is a public health issue. So that that gets to what um, Surindar was talking about with health and all policies, right? That. Um, one of the ways that we can influence others is by really leaning into health and all policies as a practice so that there's an expectation that things that deal with transportation or siting of factories and land use or other things that might be outside of the normal scope of what people look to public health for, those are actually public health issues. And we have something to add to that, whether it be data, you know, uh, health impact assessments, whatever the case might be for that particular issue. So making that tie to whatever is most important to the the people who you ultimately have to work with, um, that's crucial. And so I think public health is really good at that, whether it's kids, um, you know, talking about asthma, talking about all all of the things that we know um, get people uh, activated and involved and caring about an issue across party lines. Um, across systems, what are those things that we can use to create um, momentum for things that we know are for a greater good?
4: Thank you very much, Jacques. Uh, Before we hop into the question and answer portion, I did want to uh, read off uh, Surindar's message here. Uh, She states that key messages from her, uh, health and all policies is a very helpful approach requiring us to all work across Uh, professional boundaries and beyond narrow statutory functions pressures are often to look for quick wins, but public health and environmental health needs a long view, which can mean putting proxy indicators in place. Other issues are around evidencing our actions so we can we can win the funds to support our services, also recognizing that action and investment in one service might lead to savings in another. So thank you very much, Sarandar. All right, I think we're going to transition now into our uh, our open conversation. So at this time, I invite any questions uh, into the chat. Um, so go ahead, uh, type in what you like, uh, raise your hands, and uh, I believe we'll, we'll we'll get around to those questions.
2: next working just to point out, um as. as and departments that that we need to be very aware of, and it it follows on from what Jacques was saying, is we need to be able to communicate at at all different levels, and I think particularly to be politically savvy. Um, So messaging that we might use to convince politicians um, to try and change strategies and so on is is often quite different to the language and messaging that we might use with members of the public and with other uh, professional groups. And that's something that, you know, can take quite a lot of practice to actually really um, become effective in. And that's something that we often see our new graduates not being so strong at.
4: Fantastic. Thank you, Sunder. Uh, Our first question comes in. uh, How was the equity index for Tacoma created? Is this something that is updated with new data or is it uh, from data at one point in time?
3: Yeah, the, uh, I'll answer the last part first, which is uh, it is updated. So every two years, um, and that's partially to match up with ACS updates, but it is updated uh, depending on the data source. So because there are 29 different indicators, there are many different data sources. So not all of them can be updated every two years, as, as you all know, um, but those that can are updated every two years. And then the way that it was developed was we went through a process of Um, identifying the indicators that were available and meaningful um, with stakeholders and then we organized those in alignment with the city's strategic plan um, and then uh, came up with a a system to be able to to consolidate those into one overall equity index while also having it broken apart so it was um it was administratively done um it was a, a big project that took several years but um we're we're seeing the impacts of it in terms of how how work is done in the city now. So very happy with how, how it's working through the rollout.
4: Thank you, Jacques. Uh, any more questions at this time? Looks like Amy Devereaux has a question.
5: This might be a little off the mark. And hey, Jared, how are you? And- Hi, Amy. Uh, <laughs> you know, as the comment was made about, you know, when you've seen one and you know one public health office you've seen one public health office and you know this might be like a bigger picture of what we're talking about today but the fact that you know when you see one public health office in Iowa you've seen one is i think an injustice in itself because you're not getting the same service from one county to the next and the people who are filling those positions are so varied from one county to the next and the fact that we don't have an organized program or educational offering for those people coming into those positions—you know—we're hiring people who who might have biology degrees, but have never done environmental health. They've not covered topics in environmental health, and um, you know. I, and I work for DMAC now, but I was a um, environmental health, you know, sanitarian for twenty years, and I hear all the time from. Uh, residents from uh, contractors who, who they're working with for wells and septics that, you know, they just have turnover and the people coming in don't know their jobs. And that's a huge disservice to the environmental health industry, to the public that they're serving, to the people that they're working with. And, um, you know, septic contractors, well contractors, tanning, um, tattoo owners, pool, um, owners, that's not their job to train these people coming in, you know? So, you know, to me, I think that's an injustice because we are just, it's a disservice to the public. So, um, once again, I'm not sure if that really fits into what we're talking about today, but you know, in the big picture, I think it does.
3: If I could just make one quick comment to that. Um, I I definitely hear what you're saying. And I know that's part of what, you know, public health accreditation is trying to help solve in terms of what what is foundational public health and how do we make sure that that baseline is consistent across every community. Um, At the same time, or I guess in addition to that though, um, you know, having every county be the same is not necessarily the goal either because, you know, the same is equality, but it's not equity, knowing that the issues in every community might be different, right? So um, I, I think I think we're not saying different things in terms of there is a basic level of foundational public health service that should be expected consistently across all of the systems. But then in addition to that, I think there are um, unique things about every community that public health departments can also take um, different roles in addressing. So. Again, that's that's not necessarily in contradiction to what you're saying, but maybe in addition to.
5: Yeah, I agree. And uh, and I was uh, an active part of some of the accreditation and, you know, the redesign of public health and selecting, uh, you know, what are some of those core competencies and, and essential services that every county should have. And, you know, and we don't we don't see that, you know, some of those smaller counties, uh, you know, some of those that are impacted, you know, financially, you know, that pursue that, you know, that's not a focus that they look at. So, um, you know, so we're going to have shortfalls when it comes to staying on task of making sure that we're meeting some of those core competencies. So, um, but once again, yeah, you're totally right. Those services are going to vary across
4: the state. Thank you so much for your input, Amy. Um, we have time for a few more questions. Okay, from Kathleen. She asks uh, Have you seen or heard about any successful uh, environmental and uh, justice initiatives, any organizations that we should be looking to? Surendar, are you still on? Are you, are you still with yeah.
2: us? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Um, yeah, a, a resource that I would uh, recommend um, from the UK is the Institute of Health Equity uh, site, which is based at University College London, um, and it's led by um, Professor Sir Michael Marmot, who's done an awful lot of work on health inequalities and um, it's very uh, committed to the life course approach and issues of Um, societal injustice being really what's underlying a lot of um, health injustices and there's there's quite a lot of project work that's gone on in the UK around the recommendations of his review which originally came out in 2010 and then was updated 10 years later so there are actually some quite nice examples um, obviously in in a UK context but I, I think sort of first principles are similar wherever you are in the world. Um, so that's de- definitely worth a look and I'll I'll pop a, a link in the chat.
4: Thank you, Sir uh Jacques, I noticed that you posted a few uh, a few tabs over here. Would you like to speak to those?
3: Oh, sure. I, I know that for me, one of the most impactful things in in working with others on issues like this are showing local examples. So for example, that redlining map that I showed of Tacoma, so crucial because people um, often are really um, easily, uh, they easily go to a place of othering um, and, and saying like, that's not what it's like here. Like maybe that happened in Alabama or Mississippi, but that's not what it was like here. And um, it's been really impactful to be able to really say, you know, although there are differences these same kind of policies were absolutely here. Here is the map from 1937. Here is the language that was used in the map. And so what I put into the uh, chat, I just typed in um, redlining in Iowa and found some links to some podcasts and some articles about the history of redlining in Iowa. So if, those, if, if any of you have not yet seen um, those specific uh, maps or heard heard these stories, I would just invite you to to listen and see if they're applicable to the work that you're doing as you continue to develop your health equity practice.
4: Thank you, Jacques. Um, I'd also like to throw in a shameless plug for Blackhawk County Public Health and a lot of the work that we've been doing over the last uh, three, three and a half years. We've put a lot of emphasis on health equity and um, uh, go ahead and take a look at our website. We have a pretty great um, model that we worked with uh, basically to do a community mapping, mapping health inequities uh, within within our community overall. Uh, so please I, I urge you all to take a look at that. And that's an example of of a local, you know, a local public health department here in Iowa. Uh, moving forward with the questions, uh, looks like we have um, uh, Chelsea, what about exposure to injury and violence as an environmental justice issue? Is this concept being considered in your respective areas? Um, this is uh, their area of research, so the intersection of violence and the environment. That's an interesting question.
3: Sure, I'll I'll take a a quick response to that. Um, So I guess the distinction I would make would be between behaviors and environmental conditions, right? So um, we know that violence is complex in terms of the, the causes, but I would say if the environmental injustices of violence are probably more related to things of built environment, like um, concentrated and segregated poverty, you know, lack of economic opportunity, uh, lack of in infrastructure investment, things like that, which absolutely can have a huge impact. Um, but then there's also the behavioral side of things. And I make that distinction because I know that a lot of uh, violence reduction programs in public health in the past several decades have been more, um, you know, behavioral based, as opposed to uh, environmental condition based. So there a hundred percent is a tie there. Um, and uh, I think it's great if you are making that tie and looking for ways to impact violence through environmental, uh, you know, built environment or other environmental um, activities, I guess, for lack of a better word.
4: Very good. Yeah. Soren would you like to add anything?
2: Yeah, I can hear. I mean, I, I would agree that sort of, um, violence and security are really key um, public and environmental health issues. Um, We have included it in a lot of our work, um, looking at the conditions that uh, migrants and refugees are living in and whether people feel safe in their homes, safe to leave their homes, safe to go out and and earn a living and so on. So it's been quite central to some of my work. I also did some projects with um, colleagues in geography and they introduced me to some quite useful theoretical perspectives around the idea of structural violence. And that it, it, it links to what Jacques was, was just sort of saying that basically the, the way the, that society and rules are arranged can be a form of violence to people. And what we sort of added to that also is that it's not just action that can be a form of violence it's inaction as well, so if we're just sort of standing by and letting something happen that that can lead to violence, just as much as us. Actually, being engaged in in physical or psychological violence um, ourselves, and I'm I'm happy to share a paper that we we wrote around this um, with Kathleen, if it would be useful or, or interesting at all.
4: Thank you very much. Uh, I think we're going to try to squeeze one more question in. Ruby Perrin asks. I think this is for Jock. Uh, what has been the outcome of the Tacoma
3: project? I get a little clarification on what the Tacoma project is. The equity it index. Is
4: a good question. Ruby, if you're on, please raise your hand. Okay, Ruby, I think you're good to go.
3: Yeah, I would like to know what
5: the outcome of was of the Tacoma project with the uh, uh, EJ index that you created. And the you had a whole bunch of environmental health people going over to the other part of the side of the city. And I just want to know
1: what your goal was and what the outcome was of that.
3: Sure. And I I just want to be clear uh, when, when we say diverting resources, again, Mm -hmm. that foundational health thing, it's not, we're not taking away foundational things from, from those already high performing areas like, you know, garbage pickup or, you know, restaurant inspection or or anything. So um, we, we really are talking about discretionary resources and things above and beyond that foundational public health level. Um, but to answer your question directly, what the outcome was, um, is really about the process more than any specific action. So what we've done is, you know, using a health and all policies kind of approach, we've incorporated that tool and that analysis into all of the ordinances and resolutions that are going before council. So, um, In terms of how are people looking at the health impacts of the decisions that they're making, the programmatic choices that they're making, the policies that they're putting forth, we really have tried to integrate that into how they have to do business, how they have to make their analysis. Um, And that's translated into kind of the the cultural norm in the organization to then use these data, to to be able to use the the maps in in assessing all all of what we do. So that's really the main outcome that I would speak to. And then there are many different programmatic outcomes that are happening as a result of that um, because it is being used by so many people. So we've talked about built environment as a a key piece of this. And one of the things that we did that I'll quickly share as an example of one of the many programmatic um, implementations of this is we have over 3000 broken street lights that need repair in the city. Um, but we only have enough money for, let's say, 300 of them. How do we prioritize where those streetlights are going to go? Well, we, we've done an analysis where we looked at things like traffic collisions, um, pedestrian access, thing, things like that, numbers of, you know, crime density, things like that. And then we've now combined that set of data with the equity index, to be able to see, are there other patterns of social, economic, and environmental inequity that we can make decisions about uh, things like streetlight repairs that will better achieve the the ultimate outcomes that we want across all of these different indicators. So that's one example, and that actually has shifted where some of the broken streetlights are being repaired. Um, And we're trying to do similar kinds of things across all of our different functions to make sure that we, again, are, impacting the areas that need it the most. Thank you.
4: Thank you for your answer, Jacques. Okay, it is 1.59 <laughs> right now, so that means we're coming to the end of our day. I'd like to thank all the participants here today, uh, you know, who, who hopped on. I'd really like to thank Jacques and Sorengar for our guest speakers for the day. Um, yeah, My name is Jared, I've been your moderator. And with that, I will turn it back over to Kathleen.
1: Thank you. Again, I wanna echo uh, my thanks to everyone for coming and for our panelists for uh, talking about their work. I think it was really insightful and we really appreciate it. We would also encourage you to subscribe to um, our uh, Building Health Equity Initiative. And then there's also an evaluation link. And then I wanted to mention again that the recording slides and um, transcript will be on the event page of the website. And we'll be doing these uh, webinars on the second Wednesday of each month. And so our next webinar is Health Equity, Practice Among Today's Youth. Otherwise, um, I, I thank you again. and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.
3: Thanks,
2: everyone.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Special thanks to Trisha Kitzman, Cynthia Maharani, Natalie Peters, Melissa Richland, and the speakers who have shared their expertise with us. Theme music for the Building Health Equity podcast series was composed and produced by Dave Hoing and Roger Heilman. Funding for the Building Health Equity initiative is provided by the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services. Please see the podcast notes for an evaluation link and transcript. For additional resources and information, or to view the video webinar recordings, please be sure to visit www.buildinghealthequity.com.